Hello and welcome to the Aviva podcast, part of our special series on data science. My name is Ben Moss and today I am at Cambridge University. Now I'm here because Aviva's data science practice, Quantum, has entered into a partnership with the university to collaborate on a number of research projects over the next few years. Now I'm going to be honest, based on my educational record, it was very unlikely I'd ever end up at Cambridge University, but it's absolutely amazing what doors can be opened when you offer to make a podcast for people, so I'm very pleased to be here today. But today what we're here to talk about is how data can be used to make lives better. Now, this is nothing new. Data has long been described as the new oil. It is incredibly valuable. We know that data drives absolutely everything, from algorithms that tell websites which adverts we should see, through to how much people pay for their car insurance. But data can also be used to predict how long people are going to live, and their likelihood of developing diseases like dementia. So to find out more about this specifically, I'm joined by Helena Gellison, a PhD researcher from Cambridge University, and Orlando Machado, Chief Data Scientist from Aviva. Uh, Helena, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. And I'll start with a very basic question, but what got you interested in this field of research, looking into how we can predict if people are gonna develop dementia? Oh, hi, thanks so much for having me, first of all. Um, well, I always thought that was a very fascinating question because um, the one thing that we all have in common, if we're lucky, is that we're going to get older. And as we get older, obviously, our likelihood of developing diseases, especially diseases such as dementia, is obviously going to increase vastly. And uh, currently, there's still so much we don't know about these diseases and uh, no actual cure. So that aspect and, you know, the impact that these diseases can have on uh, on a family, um, not just an individual. So uh, everybody in a family will be affected uh, when an individual gets dementia. You know, these these aspects were, um, well, very, very important to me to, to sort of get in there and understand better and hopefully make some sort of a contribution. And what kind of data will you look at to try and work out uh, the reasons why certain people are more predisposed to developing dementia than others. Right. So um, I sort of started from a psychological and neuroscience background. That's what I did for my undergrad. Uh, and then from there, I moved into um, memory research. And I started out with more basic questions about um, what the underlying uh, factors are that can impact memory decline. And then from there, I sort of moved into um, the field of dementia. So uh, in the first place, what I did with my PhD, basically, is just um, to understand ind predictors of individual variability in memory function. And so, so then based on the methods that I employed there, um, and then started to, to think about how we can um, employ these in, you know, a, a broader sense of dementia prediction per se. So we'd be looking at, you know, something uh, like cognitive measures, which would be memory scores or, for example, executive functioning uh, measures, uh, social factors as well. Um, so measuring people's involvement in uh, social engaged, uh, well, social engagement, basically. Um, so that would fall underneath the, the lifestyle bit, for example, as well. Typical, your traditional healthcare uh, measurements. So trying to sort of 
take a very broad perspective on this and taking all of these different predictive factors into account. Where do you get all that data from? Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, a lot of the research that I've been doing so far is uh, based on other very nice people out there who have done uh, work in this field um, and who have ob obviously published a large amount um, of papers already on this. So then I can go out there and see, well, what are the current prediction models and how can that inform my own research? And uh, then Cambridge does have uh, quite a lot of volunteer panels as well from where we can uh, reach uh, people who are curious about uh, participating in our research. Uh, and then we recruit these people and um, they come to the lab and we test them. Uh, I have a lot of great students who um, helped me out with that. Um, and so that's where we, we get our data from. If we talk about longitudinal studies, obviously a PhD is about three to four years. So a full longitudinal study from midlife to late life is not possible. Um, otherwise, I will be sitting here for a very long time <laughs> before I get my PhD. So we need to sort of combine previous data sets with longitudinal data with what we can collect ourselves. And Orlando Machado from Aviva, why would a company like Aviva be interested in what Helena is doing? Well, I think it's interesting. If people think about Aviva and insurance companies, people often think about large faceless corporations. But I think if you get back to what the essence of insurance is, it's about protecting the things that are most important to people at some of their toughest times. And really the most important things that we protect are people's lives. So the best understanding of diseases, of illness, of longevity, actually is, is core to our business. Really understanding these things and quantifying these things is actually absolutely fundamental to the Aviva business. Now, if I think about the future and where the future might lie for an insurance company, historically, we've, predict, we've, historically, we've protected things by paying people money when things go wrong. But in the future, the insurance company of the future might well actually try to prevent things happening. And the, the beginning of prevention is understanding and predicting the factors that lead to something bad happening. And where I see things happening in the future is that maybe we can intervene and maybe we can prevent the bad things happening in the first place. And we mentioned already Aviva has a, a partnership with Cambridge University, but how will you and your team of data scientists in, in quantum, the, the Aviva data science practice, how will they be working with Helena or supporting her work? Well, the first thing to say is that a lot of the data analysis techniques are techniques that we might well use internally at Aviva for a number of different purposes. So one of the reasons that we're looking to enter into a partnership is to share knowledge, share best practice, and often the practical aspects of data science are quite different to some of the theoretical aspects of data science. So the time that we spend cleaning, preparing, formatting data, some of the stuff that we don't really talk about too much, we're very well skilled in, we're very well versed in, and we're very happy to share those kind of techniques and share those kind of uh, experiences with anyone that we partner with. The other aspect is that in the future we might have data that we can share. Now we always have to be very protective of our customer data and make sure that we're using data for the benefit of our customers. But certainly if we're looking to try to understand how we can prevent diseases in the future, happening, we could make a very strong case for using that data in a very controlled way, generally anonymized, but you know, partnering with people who are undertaking cutting-edge research would seem to be in the interests of, of our customers as well as ourselves and as well as of Cambridge. And Helena, I would think the area of research around predicting whether people are going to develop dementia would be 
that path will be quite well trodden. Where do you think the work you're going to do can fit into that and not maybe um, just replicate what's been done elsewhere? Right, yeah, that is a very good question. Obviously, there's a ton of research out there on this very pressing question. But because it is such a complex issue, um, we also do need a lot of research and we constantly are learning new things. Um, so one thing, for example, would be that uh, up until fairly recently, um, you know, people were mainly just focusing on uh, memory scores as being the most important thing in order to um, sort of say whether somebody was going to develop Alzheimer's or not. Um, now, uh, people are sort of trying to um, look at other measures that could also help us a bit more. So in recent years, for example, navigation skills have been looked at as another um, potential uh, cognitive measure that could be indicative of uh early decline that we might not otherwise have spotted so that's you know one very specific example more broad examples are that non-traditional factors you know that that haven't really been taken into account in a lot of predictive models um factors such as uh psychosocial uh measures um you know subjective feelings of uh, social engagement personality traits um sleep measures they might not have been looked at as um, you know, systematically as a lot of the traditional uh, health-related questions, um, for example, uh, variability in uh, in lifetime activities, that has been recently found to be very important as well as as a good predictive factor, and so. We constantly see that new things arise that would be good to to look at uh, in that predictive value. And there has not been a lot of very rich longitudinal data sets yet that have looked at these factors simply because back in time when these were set up, we weren't quite you know sure about whether these would be of any value. And therefore, people focus more on the traditional measures. So there's constantly still uh, a lot of room for improvement. It sounds like you're going to have a lot of data. You're going to be looking at other studies that have produced a lot of data and you're going to be using those panels you mentioned from uh, from the Cambridge University have access to. So that's another whole set of data. How do you know that the data you're, you're using it ends up with an answer which is valid and fair? Yeah, that is that is the, the golden question in uh, any research approach, right? Um, well, so basically from, from my perspective so far, one thing that one can do to sort of um, find the most consistent uh, factors in the first place is to use methods of um, uh, data synthesis. So for example, meta-analytic measures, if we don't have access to you know every individual data point, we could, for example, go out there, do a systematic literature search, and across all the studies that we identify that do have something important in them, uh, look at which factors consistently arise as predictive, um, and then try to use these factors um, in another data set um, that we have that also measured these same factors, then sort of like a validation step. Um, now, this is uh, all things that are sort of set up in uh, my final final year of the PhD, well, my final two years of the PhD, because I'll be doing four in total, um, and I've done two so far. So I have a lot of ideas about how to do that from now on, uh, based on prior modeling experience that I have, uh, and from yeah, how to bring these two things together, you know, data synthesis from other uh, researchers, and then using that for uh, future data sets that I'm collecting with my students, basically. And Orlando, hearing Helena speak about what she's doing and how she's going about it, does that make your ears kind of prick up and think, but there's some really interesting work going on here that, that's definitely going to have some practical applications. 
I think there are lots of um, opportunities for us to share knowledge and experience in those areas. And I think data synthesis as a broad area, just trying to understand how you can create data that has that strips out some of the sensitivities of using individual personal data, but still allows us to analyze it and spot trends and make predictions is a very exciting area for us. It's something that we're actively researching because we have lots of value and lots of insight in our data, but we equally have lots of constraints around using individual personal data for very good reasons. Our first, uh, first duty is to protect our customers' personal data. But if we can find a way of getting the best of both worlds, of stripping out the personal information, stripping out the sensitivity, but still understanding the predictive factors that lead to longer-term better outcomes, then we'll all be in a better place. And Helena, your research is actually being funded by the government. It's called the Grand Challenges Project, which kind of indicates the importance of what you're trying to do. Can you tell us just a bit more about the Grand Challenges Project and how you got involved in it? Sure. Um, so this is, uh, well, I first just received one of those uh, typical emails that you will get quite a lot when, you, uh, when you're when you a PhD student because they're just so many incredibly interesting things going on around the university and there's constantly uh, opportunities opportunities to get involved um, in projects that are not intrinsic to your PhD but are still of general relevance um, and so the Grand Challenges scheme um, was described um, in very briefly first in one of these emails and then um, yeah it was sort of like oh that that sounds really fascinating looked looked up uh, a bit more about that and you know it's basically part of um, you know the the university's uh, endeavors to bring together academic researchers and industry in order to you know have a fruitful symbiosis um, and to focus in f on four major areas um, that are of huge importance to uh, our society today. So the first would be AI and data, the second would be our aging society, and the fourth is mobility, and the final one is uh, clean growth. And um, as you can tell, sort of the first and the second one uh, actually work very well together in, um, in you know this project that was being described uh, there, because Aviva, the founding member of the um, Cambridge Centre for Data-Driven Discovery, and um, that's sort of where um, these grand challenges will be will be discussed. And um, yeah, that was, I think, the first project that was described there. And so I was like, well, I gotta get involved. Uh, <laughs> and then um, you actually visited a yeah. team at Aviva quite recently. Uh, what happened there? What did you go and see the team about? Oh, right. Yeah, that was yesterday. So it was a very, uh, very warm day uh, arrived. Uh, um, yeah got about on the train station very early and then uh was it york arrived. you went to yeah it was york so you know york, it's a two and a half hour trip uh so uh i think overall it was a 12 hour day but you know i i was so energized by uh all the different meetings um i think we didn't even have a lunch break uh so i met um you know with with four or five uh different people there and um everybody sort of obviously comes from from a different angle um and uh, chatted with me about how, you know, what, what are the most pressing um, questions um, based on the work that they do? Um, what sort of things would be good for me to look at? Um, and so we, we basically found that obviously there's, there's no shortage of fascinating questions to explore. <laughs> it's probably going to be more difficult to, you know, sort of really say, well, I've only got three months, you know, I can only tackle so many of them. So some examples would be um, the, the original one as well that has been in my uh, proposal so far, which was about looking at pot potentially novel factors that are um, 
or predictive of um, dementia on an individual person's level. So these could be protective factors or you know detrimental factors um, and sort of thinking about how to measure them as well. Um, that was one uh, very important question. Another one was on a more population level, uh, how can we figure out what the predictors are of um, you know the incidence uh, rate of dementia um, there? Because it's obviously very important to know how dementia um, cases uh, are you know predicted to, to change. Um, so that is would involve quite a different approach because it's population level data and would have other sorts of uh, predictors involved. And then other questions people were, were having as well. Uh, is there such a thing as a super ager? ager? You know, people who um, live up to 100 and um, don't super really show... Ager. Yes, a super wow. ager. This, well, I mean, the question there was rather... Um, you know, are there people who live that long and are perfectly fine? And I was like, oh, you mean super ages? Because this term has actually been coined in the <laughs> aging literature. And so I am aware that apparently they do exist. I'm not so uh, sure as to um, how frequent uh, the occurrence of such such an almost unicorn-like being is, you know. <laughs> so that could be uh, of interest, sort of a smaller side project to look at. And finally, um, another question was, once a person is actually diagnosed with dementia, what are the factors that help us understand how much longer they're going to survive? Um, and there's a quite large variability there as well. Aviva does have a lot of data on that. But there's a question of, again, identifying new predictors that people haven't quite thought about yet. Well, for me, I think leaving it on the note of super ages, which is a term <laughs> I hadn't heard before, but I'm definitely going to use again. Um, that was fascinating. Thank you very much for speaking to us today. That's Helena Gellison from Cambridge University and Orlando Machado from Aviva. Great to have you on the Aviva podcast today. If you'd like to know more about Helena's research or the quantum data science team at Aviva, please do check out the show notes of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>